always in learning development have a conversation somewhere along the year on having a seat at the table. You want to get in there with where the decisions are made, where you have an impact, where you have a voice. If you can't put numbers on how you are contributing, it's really difficult to go out and say, I need 40 million or I need 5 million or 500,000 for this initiative. And, and of course, the question will be why. And we are back for series three of transformation stories from the award-winning Veltech Cafe. This series, we're talking innovation, commerce, emotive marketing, and career changes. We'll also dip into trends in fintech, digital health, retail, mobility, manufacturing, and speak to CEOs, CDOs, SMEs, and lots of other acronyms too. As always, you can expect gloriously unscripted discussions that shed an open and transparent light on the ebb and flow of our digital world. I'm Tizzy Phil, and welcome to the podcast. What is it that inclines us to keep learning, to keep acquiring new knowledge, skills, and capabilities? What is it in the human spirit that enables that quest for enlightenment? Indeed, the concept of learning and development is a fascinating one, not least in the corporate sector, where we're beginning to see a shift from L&D as a nice-to-have to a business imperative that underpins the culture and values of a company. In this conversation, I'm joined by Peter Manicher-Riber, Head of Digital Learning and Analytics at Nova Nordisk, and Christian Herr-Siesgar, Global Learning and Development Director at Valtech, to discuss why we need L&D policies, the impact of those initiatives, and how we can close the gap between our human desire to learn and the complexity of actually making it happen at scale. So Peter and Christian, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Let's begin with some introductions. Peter, we'll come to you first. Tell us more about you, your experience, and indeed your current role at Nova Nordisk. That's kind of you, and thank you for having me. It's lovely to be here. Um, yeah, I work at Nova Nordisk, and I have done for the last three and a half years, I guess, um, being in charge globally of digital learning, and a couple of years later, also analytics. So that's um, being responsible for our learning platforms, our digital content, and also uh, the analytics bit around measuring the impact of what we're doing. Fantastic. Thank you. And Christian, how about you? Yeah, so um, I, I do somewhat similar work to Peter. Uh, so I'm, uh, as you said, I'm the Global Learning and Development Director here at Valtech, uh, which basically means that together with the, my team, I'm in charge of some of our global learning initiatives, as well as internal comps and, um, and people analytics. And I'm interested before we get into the guts of the conversation in what are the key challenges that you both see at both organizations that you're trying to solve individually? I, I think there are, there are multiple. Um, in order for us to measure the effectiveness and impact of what we're doing in learning development, we need the people who are designing learning development initiatives to define what the learning initiatives should impact. That's actually quite a challenge because historically in L&D, we, we're very good at just delivering content to upskill people within topics and things that we think are really necessary for the business to thrive and survive and develop. And what we're not historically very good at is defining or finding the business problems that we want to help solving. And I don't know why. It's just historically not what we've been trying to do from, from an L&D perspective. So 
trying to change that conversation and getting the business problems and, and opportunities up front and then seeing how can we support that from an L&D perspective. That's probably the biggest challenge um, that we're facing. And Christian, is that something that you recognize too? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think Peter and I share perspective here because uh, for way too long, L&D has been an afterthought or a company perk or whatever you want to want to call it. Uh, and, and we need to be much clearer on why we're here, what it is that we're actually bringing to the table, because I think L&D brings a lot to an organization. Uh, we just need to become much better at proving what it is we bring. Um, and for Valtech specifically, uh, you know, when you ask about uh, challenges, I think one of the big challenges we are faced with is that um, that we have this history of acquiring companies. Um, so getting them integrated under the, the one Valtech umbrella, uh, making sure that we are harmonizing our ways of working, our ways of collaborating without losing um, all this uh, creativity and innovation that these acquired companies bring to the table. Yeah, and great points. And I'm really looking forward to unpacking all of those in a bit more detail. In that introduction, I made reference to learning being part of our human nature. So what is the problem that we're try- trying to solve with these corporate L&D initiatives? I know that you've just touched on those, but let's go into them a bit more, more detail. Why do we want to learn? I'll go first on this one. And then Peter, he can uh, <laughs> take it apart afterwards. But uh, no, jokes aside, one key thing we need to be absolutely clear about when we're talking about organizational learning is that it doesn't come with the L&D department. You know, organizations are learning whether or not there's an L&D department at all. So if you go to a startup, they might not even have HR. They're still learning uh, probably uh, with a factor 10 of what a, a big corporation is. So Learning is happening all the time. What we can do with L&D is that we can try to steer what kind of learning is happening and, and influence that. And basically, you can put it quite simple. You can say there is a demand part and there's a desire part. And that comes both from the internal side and the external side. So if we start externally, something is required of us based on which industry we're in. So in Peter's, there's a lot of demands from the outside world because they're, they're producing medicine, right? Whereas in our case, it's, it's more GDPR and stuff like that. Um, so that's the demand part from the external side. Then you have the desire part from the external side, which is what is the market actually asking for? You know, how can we become attractive to our clients? Um, if, if you go internally, you'll have the same. There are parts that we really want to be directive on uh, where we are very opinionated. And that's the demand part. And, and, and you have the desire part as well internally. So where do we want to go? Where do our employees want to go? And all of that, we need to tie together to business value. So basically, you can say there are sometimes we are training, I would argue, because we're asked to, we need to do it. Whereas sometimes we're learning and trying to see what kind of value can that bring. And I think that's, that's a key element also to discuss today. Are we talking training? Are we talking learning? Yeah, very good point. Peter, would you come back on that? I can't take that apart, unfortunately. I think you're right, and especially the last sentence, um, kind of what my thought was was going around training and learning. Nick Shackleton-Jones says it very well. We're doing education. We're not doing learning. Learning happens in the brain with people, in people, which is a natural human process, um, which everyone likes and dislikes because frustration is also learning so it should be there's a lot of theory on that that's interesting that doesn't doesn't um, 
doesn't really belong in this conversation. But I think it's really important to, to divide those two topics and say we are really expected to do training and education from in a company from a you know vast majority of the stakeholders. They come to us because they want training in the shape that they've always known it. And what we really should be doing is facilitating learning in the best possible way to support the business initiatives and problems and opportunities initially with the company, but also individually for people. If, if we can get to that point, that would be amazing. Yeah. And, and that's also where it becomes complex, right? So yeah. um, for, for those who don't know or are not feeling too sure about the difference, you could say when you're doing training, you know the end goal. You know, you're training on something very specific. Uh, you know what, what good looks like. You can't always say you do that when it comes to learning. So a good example is the, probably the three of us, right? So Tizi, you're a, a head of our uh, Marcoms, but you have a bachelor in uh, biology. That's, that's not training. You didn't train for this role, right? And, and that's where Peter and I are perhaps uh, preaching a new direction within learning and development is that sometimes we're being too ambitious. So we need to sharpen our focus and really look at the things that we believe in and that we are capable of measuring the impact of. And that's a good place for us to strip it back a bit. For those people who are maybe not as familiar with this as a concept or this as a topic, they might have joined an organization where there is an L&D department and they're wondering what value that might bring to them. What is it that's stopping so many companies from offering a good L&D offering? Um, that's a really good question. And it's difficult for us to know since we don't know what the state of the union is in every company outside our own. So, um, But generically across the board, and what I hear um, and talk to my network about is what the expectations are to what we need to do and what is perceived from the organization as successful from an L&D department, which really contradicts what <laughs> the, the purpose of, of a lot of the things we really should be doing. It's back to the point around what are we expected to do? We're expected to deliver compliance training, which is really important for our business to exist. It doesn't really have a lot to do with learning, in my opinion, <clears throat> but it is compliance training. And it is important. It is a license to operate. And it's something that we are looked upon to solve for the business, which is one discipline. And then you've got all the, the other bits and bobs and parts of training where you're talking about project management, agile, communication training, all that stuff where there's an expectation from the organization that this is on the shelves, on demand, that we can go to the L&D store internally or the L&D people and get the best possible training opportunities within just the thing that we're thinking about developing for our team or myself. And with that expectation across 55,000 people of the 10,000 people, just 5,000 people with the resources we have at hand in L&D teams is just impossible. So as Christian was alluding to just, just before is maybe it's time that we change our approach, at least for some of, because we cannot, we cannot avoid solving some of those problems I just mentioned. It's just an expectation. If we don't do that, we won't exist in any companies at all. Historically, that's just a fact. And it's also a fair expectation to some extent. But why don't we try and pull this in a different direction where we set up a team inside the L&D uh, space, which could be dealing with the more uh, profile stuff, like taking the business strategy, finding out what parts of the business strategy can we, so can we solve, looking at all the business problems in the business, talking to the business and say, where can learning, training help, you know, with the impact measurement as well, um, solve some of those problems. And then here comes the big deal, which I'm being 
every time I say this uh, on social or any anywhere else, I'm people look at me and say, "Are you crazy?" But I'm going to say it again. We need to be accountable for something. So we need to go out and say, "Okay, we in L and D can actually, uh, with the solutions that we have at hand, all the stuff that we can do for you, help sales increase by three percent next year in this market." That's what we will be accountable for doing with you. We'll put our necks on the line and go that direction with you. So we'll work towards that with the stuff that we can do because we've identified through the design thinking process or whatever that we are, we can actually make a difference here. So that's accountability we don't have today. Today we have accountability to the place where we have trained someone or they have learned something in the learning objectives. I'm like, I always end up saying, so what? I mean, that's great that you're now, you know, you have this skill or you're able to do this or you understand this concept or whatnot. But is that bringing value to the company you work for or the job that you're in? Are you converting that to behavior or results, which is actually making a difference for what we're all, all trying to do, which is save the world, save people, make lives better out there or whatever it is. And that's my key question is, why can't we? And, and, and you know, they always come back saying, well, there's not a straight causality. We can't say because someone was trained, because someone learned something that you guys put out there, then that changed behavior and then these results occurred. We can't say that. I'm saying, no, we can't. Absolutely not. There's too many variables in that equation. Fair game. The question here is, why don't we look at correlations? If we have enough data, if we've got enough of these events where people went through a training at some point and then changed behavior, we've got control groups set up, we've got A-B testing, we've got other things that they do in so many other departments in the company. Why don't we do the same to try and get closer to are our solutions making the difference? Is that contributing to the end goal that we've, uh, we're now accountable for? I think we should do more of that. Yeah, def definitely agree. And, and, and I think, <clears throat> back to your point, you see, um, two things that you're highlighting, Peter. One thing is that with us. So I think, generally speaking, L&D is failing at integrating with the rest of the business. So we don't have that. We, we, we have, historically speaking, not been successful at making sure that there's a uh, A to C plan. It, it has been much a, uh, let's create some content, train people, and then they will know what to do. But that's not how people work. Um, and, and, and that's really down to the applicability, right, of what you are teaching people or, or having them go through. Will they be able to apply that in their everyday work, uh, everyday workday, uh, within short time? If not, then you're probably better off not training them at all, because then it will be a learning and boggle off initiative, and they'll just be left frustrated. Very good points, and we're going to go into in the in this, the course of this podcast a lot more detail about the measuring the impact of of learning and development within an organization. What are the proof points that we can look at? What are the metrics that we can look at? And clearly, it's something that resonates very strongly with me as a marketer, as well. We've gone through that whole journey of trying to make sure that we can pinpoint an activity or a touch point to a change in behavior or a lead as it comes through through the funnel talking about accountability peter you're talking about are you talking about accountability to the business and the c-suite who have put you into that role are you talking about accountability to the employees that are benefiting from the initiatives that you put in place who do you feel more accountable to <laughs> i have to i have to, i really have to pick between the two okay 
Uh, I, I think uh, to begin with, I think we failed to be accountable towards the business in C-suite who's actually uh, employed us in the first place. I think that's more important to put some some focus and emphasis on that because I think that's really missing. I do, on the other hand, think it's super important for us to be accountable towards the employees because there's also something in this, and I hate to say it because I'm a really facts and numbers and straight kind of guy, but there's something around learning new things. And Christian said it very well. You don't know where you're going to end up, right? You just go with it and you follow your, your needs and wants and, and whatever, whatever direction your career takes you, whatever, right? So, so, so you can't really predict everything and you can't measure everything. You can't put hard coding on, on all sorts of stuff. That, that's, that's not the, the solution. But going back to what we need to be more accountable uh, towards is the business that we work for. I think it's, it's, and I think that the one main point is, and we always in learning development have a conversation somewhere along the year on having a seat at the table. And that's the, the big table, right? You want to get in there with where the decisions are made, where you have an impact, where you have a voice at the big table. Now, if you can't tell C-suite how you are contributing to the business, let's say the turnover or safety numbers or deviances in production or cost or minimization of cost or whatever, if you can't put numbers on how you are contributing, it's really difficult to go out and say, I need 40 million or I need 5 million or 500,000 for this initiative. And, and of course, the question will be why? Because we believe it will change the world. That's our, that's our reply. It's like we believe that when people know this, they will they become better leaders. And then at some point that will materialize. And then this the conversation kind of fiddles out. Like, you know, okay, we can't really put hard metrics on this. But if you can go in and say, okay, with initiatives that we're going to do in 23, we are going to target um, improving turnover by 11% for the, this market, this market, and this market. And if you invest uh, $10 in us, then you get 15 back. If you can go in, then there's your justification. There's how you're contributing. And then, in my opinion, I, I don't know, this is just pure speculation. I think budgets will come a little bit easier when you can start proving the process of actually contributing monetary or safety or you know it could be anything it doesn't have to be you know it doesn't have to be capitalist capitalistic stuff it doesn't have to be that it can also just be people's well-being um stuff that actually makes a difference stress reduction um yeah but at the end of the day that also come down comes down to hard numbers right if you, if you calculate costs and all sorts of other things but we we have been negligent at at, at, at um, having that conversation with the business. We're, we're, we, we don't dare to do it because we don't think that our reach is all the way out there. And I'm just so puzzled of why that is. And I want to dive into that. Um, I guess that's kind of a life passion to dive into that question and, and get that answered. Yeah, and it's an interesting one, right? We, we know each other pretty well, Peter, and I, I knew you would be saying something along those lines. So when I was uh, <laughs> uh, going for a walk a few hours back, I was thinking, hmm, but then should we at all do things that we can't be held accountable for? You know, are, are, are we, in, in your opinion, are we at that point in time where we just need to accept that, okay, some of the more fluffy value-driven uh, stuff we will never be able to measure impact off. Consequently, we shouldn't do it at all. Uh, you know, are you that radical? Don't get me wrong, uh, but are you that radical in your thinking about this, or, or how do you see it? That's a really good question. 
I would love to answer yes, um, but I probably uh, no. <laughs> um, well, it's yeah. going to be a journey. It's it's probably a couple of decades out, maybe less. But um, there's also something, and there's a lot of stuff in this equation I don't know, and I'm very curious about. Um, the business keeps asking us to deliver what they think they need. They keep asking us when when they're going. They've decided they now want to be agile, right? And then we have to support that with training in agile uh, methodologies, which I think is a fair request. I mean, we've got this thing we want to do, this big thing, or become more digital or whatever we need to to change in the business. So my question would be, why are we doing that? Why do we want to become more agile? What is it that what is it that we're seeing that we can benefit from this? Or are we just believing that this will change the world for us? Why do we need to become more digitally thinking? I mean, I, I can tell why. I mean, it's it's not like, you know, it's pretty obvious that we need to do that. But but why is where can we see that? Where, where does that manifest in the business? What, what's the problem or the opportunity that we're trying to chase down here? And um, I think it would be a while before the business um, comes asking for different things actually historically it's just been those things and i think there's something in still supporting people stakeholders in the organization with what they need right now um that we that we need to keep doing while we're you know converting our conversations with people into so how does that manifest which number shows this what opportunity are we trying to chase that we can put into you know hard numbers here and those kind of things we need to insist more on. But but um, my experience is also, you don't always get an answer from the business. You can't always, they, they won't always put numbers on it. They just, we just want to go agile. This is our decision. Help us out. What do you see then as the difference between learning and training in that context, Christian? Because you're talking about greater good, doing things for the greater good, not just because we should do it, but because it's a good thing to do. It's a, it's a meaningful and purposeful thing to do. And Peter, you're pulling it straight back to, there being specific things that help the business to grow, that help the business, the employees to get on board with a, a new initiative or something that the, the business feel is going to contribute contribute to growth. But is it a business's responsibility to be responsible for an individual's general learning goals or is it a, a business's responsibility to be purely responsible for the training? Or where do you draw the line between what is a personal or an individual responsibility versus a professional responsibility of an organization? So I, I would argue that every grown-up is responsible for his, her, uh, theirs uh, own professional development. The organization can only be held responsible for the development of the organization. But developing a professional organization means that you're also developing your people. So you need to have, uh, you need to have good uh, offerings. I think where where I would perhaps draw the line is I think training initiatives, the ones that are really don't get me wrong, but easy to measure, uh, are the ones that are supporting here now operations. Where where whereas if we're looking at um, you know the strategic direction companies want to go in, that's where you need to have uh, more typical learning initiatives in in the sense that. You need to learn new skills. The thing that's failing right now is that, sure, we're good at doing these initiatives, right? We send top management on, on an MBA somewhere, but we fail to 
um, bring them back to a reality where there's actually room for then applying this new knowledge, you know, testing it out, playing around with it. Uh, a good example uh, from our own company where we're actually succeeding at that is, is our offering Valtech Insight, right? Where we help companies change from within. And here uh, the, we're teaching them, for example, Scrum or Agile because they need to become more so software companies. Um, and, and we can't always know the end goal there because they're coming from perhaps being a car manufacturer into being a uh, software house. But we need to teach them some best practices. And then they need to, together with us, co-designing, co-thinking, all of that, find out, okay, so of all these values and principles you bring from the world of IT and all this knowledge we have, how can we merge that together to create, create a desirable future? So that's probably where I would draw the line. Training is for here and now operations, whereas learning is for more the, the strategic direction, supporting the strategic direction. Okay, great points, but I do want to bring us back to that measuring of the impact. What data is directing you to making those conclusions? Yeah, um, so again, it comes down to what problems we're trying to solve. Um, and we haven't really reached that far yet. As I, as I mentioned in the beginning, that the big challenge for us is actually to define what kind of problems we are trying to solve with all the solutions we have, which seems a little bit funny and ironic, but that's just the way it is historically. So what we're trying to do, I mean, we, you can take any business number and the business they're very good at measuring stuff success right so if you go to sales you go to marketing like where you work this it's also numbers game right and go to production you've got a lot of numbers telling you about deviances in production downtime all sorts of um, mistakes safety incidents quality uh, stuff that you're you're measuring all the time um, and identifying where the problems are is is not the hard bit um the hard bit is to find out, does learning and training have a place in solving those problems? So you have to go through some kind of design thinking process. We use the 5DI framework, which has been developed by Nick Shackleton Jones and his team, and now Solve Together are running with that as well. That's just our framework. It could be anything, right? But you need to, you need to define whether training and learning has a, a room in there to improve something. Now, there, there are different ways of going about that. So either you can look at historical data and you can take a look at all the training and learning that people have been through. It's a big machine learning task, right? And then you can see, are there correlations between people taking training and these events happening anywhere where you're trying to measure in the numbers in the business, right? So you can go backtrack, and that's not the way I, I would <laughs> imagine would be the best way forward. But you can look for uh, anomalies in that, in that data and, and say, okay, we can actually see correlations here around people have been on sales training and they sell worse than they did before, or they, the people who didn't go on the training, they actually sell better than the people who went on the training. Should we stop the training or should we change the training? Should we do something, right? So there's, there's something in looking at historical data, backtracking, not the way I'd want to go, but it, is, it could be a starting place to you know, start working with your data if you're not already doing that. But the one thing is to the best way forward, in my opinion, is to leave all that behind and just say, we've got this problem in the business we want to solve. Sales in Uruguay is plummeting. It's not going well. What's going on? You do your analysis, you find out that most of these field force people, the salespeople, they need help in the conversations with the clients. They're not really converting to the rate that other markets are. They've got, they are reporting back that this is because they're not comfortable with whatever. So they need some sales training and conversations with their clients. Great. Okay. So we deploy that. And then here, here comes the interesting bit. Don't just make one solution of your training. 
historically, we are super good in L&D, and I am so guilty of this as well, to make that e-learning or make that training that is just phenomenal. I've done my research. I've done the design. I've been through you know creative processes, a lot of post-its, and it's just it's magnificent right now. I've got all the stuff in here. It's a well-designed training, right? How do I know whether that's the right thing to fix the problem? Well, I can take departure in my design thinking analysis and say, okay, I'm actually trying to fix the problems here with formats, with you know topics, with stuff. But I don't know. Once I've you know you, you get punched in the face once it gets out there, right? <laughs> so make several versions of what you're doing. You don't have to make completely different versions. But just switch into you know. We've got opportunities now of making things virtual, of making things, you know, digital. It's got a lot of opportunities engagement-wise. You can do face-to-face. You can do all sorts of things within the training space. And you can make different versions of your solution and deploy it to the audience and see what works best. That's the ABC testing. And then have a control group that you don't expose to this because what if your training makes things worse that's not good, right? Then you should probably stop it. And and those are some of the things that we don't really have a tendency to do in uh, the networks and places that I've worked and seen and talked to. We don't really do that. Maybe it's a resource issue. Maybe we don't feel like that's, there's time or money enough to do it. Um, but I just want to raise those questions. Why aren't we doing that? Because then we can start measuring with our approach if which solution does actually help the Uruguayans sell more what's affecting it best. And once we know that, we can scale it, right, internally at, uh, in, in Uruguay. And we can test it in other markets. Does it have the same effect? And we can start scaling from there once we have the evidence. Um, and, that, and that approach requires more resources than just buying a catalog of sales training from some vendor and deploying that to the audience and then saying, hey, here you go. Here's a lot of training. Go, you know, go do. And then we've been here and it's great. Uh, which sometimes is what resources allow. So I'm not pointing fingers at anyone in L&D and training. I'm just saying, can we do things differently, which resembles how you do it in science, research, marketing, and, and product? Yeah, yeah and, 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 and I think one of the points you're also coming to here, Peter, is that we have been really good at looking at content con- consumption, right? And taking that as the point of departure and say, okay, of the people who consume this content piece, what kind of performance do I see? And we have actually not even been, been good at that. But when we have succeeded, we have started there, right? Where I think there's also an opportunity for L&D, and, and we're looking into that right now, of, of seeing, okay, how can we uh, make it more, uh, how can we increase the likelihood that people have free access to um, the tacit knowledge of the organization? So for a long time, the idea has been in the L&D, we need to have a platform where people can record small videos of themselves, and then people see, start watching these videos, and that's how we document tacit knowledge. I think that's BS, to be honest. Nobody's going to watch a, a thousand small videos of other people talking about their work. Also, if you go to a company like ours or, or Novo, you know, the reality or the context where you need this learning in is often very difficult or, or very, very different. So... It's not even, you know, you can't even be sure it's applicable. Uh, that, that might not be the case. So I think it's more about looking into how people connect it. You know, do they have easy access to subject matter experts? Looking at organizational network analysis and say, okay, from a new, new joiner is joining us, 
how long time will pass before they're really well connected in the organization. That's also a key metric because there will always be tacit knowledge. You have to accept that. You know, you, you, you can't make that go away. So <laughs> research proof it has been like that for, for all time. So we, we should also not with L&D try and uh, change things we can't change. That's a brilliant point. And obviously, as a marketer, a lot of what you're saying, again, resonates very strongly with me. It's very difficult to be able to uh, know what impact you're having at what time within which whichever segment. So I love this idea of applying those metrics, that kind of approach, that marketing approach. How do you get employees on board with this then in what you've learned in applying these new new tactics? So I, I think from our side, what we're trying to do, and, and we're really at, at the beginning of this is that we want to have, uh, we want to influence our employees from many different angles. Meaning that, let's say we want to see a change, a behavioral change from our employees. Then on one layer, we are communicating about this consistently to the right uh, employees with the right messaging. Next layer is that we're looking into uh, a global mentoring program where the mentors will be trained on also bringing, you know, acting as uh, social role models on these topics so that we know that they're also bringing that message as well as we're looking into including it in our career path framework. So we are looking at influencing people from different angles, but, but the challenge here and, and where I don't have the solution and hope that, that the two bright minds of, of the two of you could, could perhaps also share some lies on how, on how you're approaching this is, you know, how do we make sure that people feel engaged with it? Because we have a, a fixed number of people we need to reach. And if we continue spamming them, eventually they'll just start deleting the, the emails. So it's, it's really interesting, you know, how do you apply a, a marketing approach to a, a finite uh, number of people? We have to do the research in, into what are our audiences actually interested in? What are they looking for? What do they want to know about? When we have that information, we can then curate that content. Hopefully that is going to resonate with them. And then it comes down to things like image. What image do they engage with? coloration, style, typography. And then we take those learnings and we make edits and we make amendments as we need. We're able to use A, B, A, B, C testing on our audiences. We can look at all of those metrics and then we can measure, test and measure, test and measure, test and measure and learn. And it sounds like you're applying the same tactics with what you're doing. Yeah, we're doing that. Um, early days as, as well. And we're trying to learn from what you guys are doing, um, not just you and Veltech, but the um, marketing industry as such. Um, so we are ex exactly doing what you're doing, trying to find out what people are interested in. In a corporate um, environment, there's also some expectations to people and what they should be interested in and what they should be good at. And we need to nudge. I mean, we need to be realistic, saying it's human beings, they're different. Some people will seek this themselves. Some people will be very development-oriented and, you know, doing all they can to learn new things and taking their career in different directions or maybe taking some of the pathways, accelerated through the company to senior levels, whatever. We also have people who don't do that. They're very satisfied with what they've gotten, what they're doing, but maybe we need to nudge them a little bit occasionally to develop themselves, right? So, so there is a... They're, they're, they're different. There's a, dif there's a difference there. But, but the interesting bit is what are people interested in? What do people want? And it also, it, it's this timing. When do, you, when do you want to communicate people with, with people? When are they receptive to stuff? 
they have a busy work day. They've got a family life. They've got all sorts of other things they need to take care of aside learning new things. And we're just one element in their day, spamming them with an email or a message somewhere. And we need to figure out what's the optimal place, time, situation to present this to people. Um, and we do that by testing. We do that by trying out what's the conversion rate with this situation versus this situa situation. Which should we try and scale this one? It seemed to work a little bit better. The conversion rate was six here, it was four here. With this audience, with this audience, how do we? And we keep testing till we get enough data. We keep trying it, doing it, until we have enough data to, to confidently say that this approach seems like the best approach to do it with. And then we scale that until it doesn't work. And then we keep testing it long again and again and again. But we do need to collect some information about what people want, what they need, and then create the two magical things, which is relevance and context. If there's no relevance to what you're getting, you won't do it. If there's no context to who you are and what you're doing in your job, you won't do it. So those two things we're trying to really, really put into our messaging, saying this is the relevance, this is why we're contacting you with this, and this is what you've previously done or this role that you have requires or whatever, you're, you know, you seem to be interested in this, these data points tell us, so therefore you're getting this stuff. Please click here because a hundred other people became millionaires of doing it, right? So th th that's that's what you need to do. Yeah, and then if, if I may add, uh, I think you need to focus also on doing less and, and the things that you truly, truly believe in. So there's also been traditionally this uh, flavor of the quarter kind of approach in L&D where we have been uh, uh, trying out too many different things. So, you know, with L&D, we're basically trying to change culture. We're trying to change people's behavior. So we need to focus on the things that we're really strongly opinionated about as an organization because then they will not only feel it from L&D, they'll also feel it from whatever other touch points they have throughout the organization. We are at time and I think that is a really brilliant place to end. So much content there, so much to talk about and really interesting the connections that we're making here between L&D and indeed what we've seen, uh, the tran transformation within marketing over recent years as well. So maybe we need to set up another podcast conversation for a couple of years time to see what those data points and those approaches have brought to reinforcing the importance and the value that L&D uh, brings within an organization. Christian Peter, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a great chat. That 40 minutes absolutely zipped by. You've been listening to the latest transformation series from Valtech Cafe. Hit subscribe to get access to our whole back catalogue of conversations. And if you'd like to know more about what we do, why not visit us at valtech.com for all the details. Until next time, thanks for listening.